Hello, everybody, and welcome to a, another one of our Financial Wellbeing podcasts. My name is uh, David Lloyd. I'm a writer and a broadcaster and an actor, uh, and I'm here with Chris Bird. Chris, tell us about yourself. Good morning, David. Uh, I wrote the Financial Wellbeing book, upon which these podcasts are based. Also, a couple of novels, writing another novel and writing another business book, which is very interesting. But I'm not Chris Bird, the maths professor from Bath, just to make that absolutely clear. Is there, uh, there has there been some confusion on well, Twitter about this recently? No. <laughs> <laughs> Unsurprisingly. But there are a few Chris Buds around. So we'd like to hear of, of many other Chris Buds around the world. Come All right. Say and indeed, well, in, indeed, David Lloyds. There are a few David Lloyds. In, are there? Uh, yes. And somebody came somebody came up to me once and he said, are you the David Lloyd? And I said, well, as far as I'm concerned, yes, I am. The um, thing is, which one of the two other, frankly, more famous David Lloyds do you think they were referring to? Well, I don't know, either the tennis player or the cricketer, but yeah. I'm neither of those. But talking of famous people, let's not forget the third part of our triumvirate here. Is that Luna? Uh, no, it's the not dog. Luna the dog, who is sitting on my lap being very, very quiet. If you hear any sort of grunting, snuffling sound, then oh, that's, that's probably Tomo <laughs> over there. It's Tom Morris, our producer. Introduce yourself, Tomo. Hi, guys. Chartered Financial Planner at Ovation Finance. Not, yeah, I know, right? Do all the exams, might as well say the title. Um, not, not the famous golfer. Oh, okay. Yeah, Tom Is Morris, there? Tom Morris Jr. and Senior. Back in the day. Oh, old times. Yeah, old. Yeah. yeah. Do you know what? The autobiography of the old John, Tom Morris is a fantastic book. I was lent that a little while ago. Recommend that. More interesting than your autobiography will be. Yeah, I suspect. Well <laughs> anyway, uh, Tomo unfortunately has a little bit of a cold. So if you hear grunting and snuffling, it could be Luna. It could be Tomo. We'll have to. We'll have to wait and see. What's on the podcast today, Chris? Today, David, we are going to discuss the fascinating and hot topic of transfers from defined benefits pension schemes. <laughs> David, wake up, wake up. Sorry, sorry, that was neither Luna or Tomo, it was me. Sounds absolutely riveting, Chris. Well, do you know what? It's one of these things that uh, you kind of have to file under boring but really important. It's a really big issue for anyone who's got a current or perhaps more importantly an old final salary or as they're now known, defined benefit pension scheme. And there is every possibility that they're going to be contacted to transfer their benefits, which could be an absolute disaster for them. It's a really big topic currently. OK, OK. Well, I'm kind of gripped. I'm not personally gripped because I don't have one of those pensions. So is there going to be any point in me listening to the rest of this podcast? Um, yes, certainly for the next 10 minutes through our wit and repartee um, before we get into the main <laughs> subject. Um, anybody who hasn't got one, uh, if I'm honest with you, maybe they want to skip this podcast, let's be honest. But anybody that has got one absolutely must listen to the rest of it. OK, right. With that in mind, perhaps you could start by telling us exactly what is a defined benefit transfer. Okay, so defined benefit or DB used to be called final salary schemes. They were typically offered by big companies, um, still offered in the public sector. After Robert Maxwell fell off his boat, um, big legislation came into place to protect members of defined benefit schemes, which ironically led to most of them shutting down. There are a few left, but not many. Um, teachers and nurses superannuation schemes are the obvious ones. George Osborne, you may remember, brought in some pension rules known as pensions freedoms, plus low interest rates recently. Uh, that's resulted in high transfer values from these schemes. So for the first time, transferring out of a DB scheme can, can be the right thing to do. However, this has created a bit of a feeding frenzy, not always from the best and most scrupulous advisors and some who aren't advisors at all, some complete con men. So this is why it's so important anybody with a DB scheme needs to listen to the rest of this podcast, OK? OK, right, you've got me. I get the importance of it. So before we move on to that you know, very important subject, 
Let's move on to now some of our more regular features. We'll start off with the word in a foreign language, which cannot be translated into English. If you remember, it all started with hygge, a, a Danish word. Uh, Your pronunciation of hygge is getting worse and worse. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> we'll start with huggy. <laughs> Generally, it's words that have no direct translation in English and relate in some way or other to well-being or doing things. That no, I feel really, happy. I feel really awkward now. <laughs> well, I forgot about the foreign language bit because right. the next word is Scottish. <laughs> well, that's kind of a foreign language. Can be. My apologies to our Scottish friends. It's not a well-being word, but it just really made me laugh. Uh, and I, I'm going to ask for your help, David and, and Tombo. How do you get out of this situation? The word for today is tartle. How's your Scottish, David? You're an actor. What's... Turtle. There you go. Excellent. I'll just wipe the saliva off my cheek. <laughs> it's a Scottish word. Uh, describes that panicky hesitation you feel when you are about to introduce someone and you just can't quite remember their name. Oh, <laughs> my word. You know what? I have that all Have you had a turtle? I have tar I turtle all the time. But I never used to be a turtle. I used to pride myself on my ability to remember people's names. And now I find that uh, I think it's just to do with perhaps being a little bit older. <laughs> I don't have the instant recall that I used to have. So I'll come in and I'll go, oh, it's that, I know, I know who that so is. So what do you do if you're about to introduce somebody to them? What's, what, what tips do we have, guys? How can we help I people know, in a tartling situation? Age. I've never been able to remember people's names. Faces, <laughs> great, I'm terrible. Uh, do you do that thing of, Leaving them to introduce each other or Well, I, I, I think if you... So, so let's suppose Bob mm. has come over and you want to introduce them to unknown person. You say to unknown person, have you met Bob? Mm. And then they say, oh, hi, I'm Pete. That's a good way out of it, yeah. I mean, the other thing is I wouldn't go actually out of my way to introduce them in that sense, and I will, I will resort to calling them, hello, my friend. Oh. Good to see you, mate. And I have done this as well, and I think it's, to be honest, it's the best way out of what can be a quite an embarrassing situation I would just say listen this is really embarrassing I know I know you I know we've met before I've got a terrible memory I can't remember your name yeah, I, I and they say I'm your mother <laughs> which is, uh, now we're going to move on to our uh, professor of petty pinching uh, <laughs> which is uh, Titus Tomo now again give you a little bit of brief history about this uh, Tomo was taking Chris and a colleague out for lunch, he said, I'll pay. He steered them towards a particular thing on the menu. It turned out to be the one and only thing on the menu for which he had a voucher, and therefore he was getting it very, very uh, cheaply. Uh, however, this led on to what originally was a fairly light-hearted, and it remains a reasonably light-hearted feature, but we've discovered... <laughs> light-hearted for us is deadly serious <laughs> for him. We've discovered that actually... Tomo knows a thing or two about saving a bob or two. So before we come on to today's tip of the day, Chris, what have you got? Well, we've got a couple from Chris Deems, who, if you remember from Podcast 26, sent us in a whole load of great tips, giving us the challenge to decide which of those he does himself. So here's a couple more for us to have a think about. Firstly, join your local community Facebook group and advertise what you're looking for, as well as what you're looking to give away, and you'll be surprised at what you can get and give. Pick up anything from furniture, clothes, books, DVDs, and much, much more. That's quite sensible, actually. And then secondly, travel to France to stock up on festive booze and save hundreds of pounds. Yeah, I used to do that. Well, of course, it, 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 it worked better then because of the duty. Exactly. Which but doesn't I'm not matter sure. now. But of course, after Brexit, maybe this will be a thing again. Maybe it this is an be. unseen advantage of Brexit. Uh, we've got one here, uh, a tight-ass Tomo tip from Nick Webb, at Nick underscore J underscore Webb on Twitter. He says, 
I will be keeping my unused 2017 diary to use again in 2028. <laughs> Good man. <laughs> I like that one. Uh, so enough of this silliness. Tomo, the master, what have you got for us? Don't buy pumpkins. Right, OK. Now, we need to put this one in context. This has been recorded just after Halloween, when obviously there's been a huge interest in buying pumpkins. Are you suggesting there's a way of getting round that? Well, I just... Give a bit of background to this. So last year, got all excited. Halloween was here. We did the carving and put it in the window. And lots of kids came and trick-or-treat and stole all my sweets. <laughs> well, <laughs> you suddenly turned into a five-year-old boy then, Tomo. It was heartbreaking. So this year, I, we got the little one. I just couldn't be bothered. So we didn't. We bought. So now you finally got a child. <laughs> For the first time ever, you're not done Halloween. And we had it. We had the sweets ready, thinking we were going to have the same onslaught. No, a third of the sweets went. So I've got a whole bucket load of sweets to see me through till Halloween next year. If you don't put a pumpkin in your window, they don't come. I also find if you shut the curtains, turn the lights off, and sit in the lounge, they don't come either. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Or if you sit on the doorstep with a shotgun saying, <laughs> one more step down my drive. <laughs> right, enough of the silliness. Let's get on to our topic, defined benefit transfers. It better be good. Chris, <laughs> tell me more. OK, so on the face of it, this is a dry topic. But if you do have a DB scheme, the next 10, 15 minutes is absolutely crucial because you will be getting contacted almost certainly by cold callers trying to get you to do something that might not be in your best interests. I used to be a pension specialist until a couple of years ago, and Tomo is currently one of the pension specialists with Innovation Finance, our financial planning company. So we know what we're talking about. But we have to make one very important health and safety announcement, OK? Nothing in this podcast should be construed as advice. This is a complicated area, and people should seek personalised individual financial advice from a pension specialist before transferring any pension, but especially from a defined benefit scheme. Oh, that was very serious, Chris. Do you feel better <laughs> for that? I do, I do. <laughs> there is serious concern in the industry that this could be the next big scandal like PPI has been for the last few years. So we don't want anyone saying they decided to transfer as a result of hearing this podcast. Right, that's a point well made. Now, um, let's bring Tomo in here. Perhaps you could start off by explaining what we actually mean by a defined benefit transfer. OK. Well, before I do, I thought I'd just explain the two types of pensions that are involved in a defined benefit transfer. Firstly, you have the defined benefit scheme itself. Now, this is a scheme set up by your employer or former employer and is set to pay a certain amount of income for life when you retire. Now, that income is usually based on the amount of time you served with the company and your final salary when you left the company. Now, this income usually increases by inflation each year, so keeps up with the cost of living, and usually has some form of spouse's pension attached. 50% is quite common. So these pensions offering this guaranteed income for life, increasing by inflation, are extremely valuable and shouldn't be given up lightly. Now, a personal pension is very different. There are no underlying guarantees. Essentially, there is a pot, and the value of that pot is determined by the amount of money that is put into it, and also the investment returns. Uh, so there is investment risk within this type of pension, and there's no guarantee of what the value will be when you come to retire and actually want to start taking an income from the pension. So definitely moving from a guaranteed income, risk is on the employer in the scheme to meet their liabilities, i.e. your income, to the risk is on you in a personal pension. 
if the investments don't go well, well, that's you that has to carry that burden. So the DB transfer itself works by the scheme offering a transfer value to a member and that member can take that value in exchange for giving up any future income from the scheme and putting it in their personal pension and investing it in a way that hopefully meets their future objectives. Suppose I was to receive a guaranteed income of around £1,000 a year. If someone offered me a transfer value of £10,000, it's unlikely that I would accept it. It doesn't seem particularly good value. However, if someone was to offer me £100,000, I'd be quite tempted because all of a sudden you only need a 1% return to match that benefit. Now, I'm not suggesting that those are the kind of figures that are out there, but it just gives you an idea of there are different values that are being offered at the moment. And some seem more attractive than others. So can I just get this right then? The, the, people are coming up and they're offering to buy out your final transfer pension and saying, well, we'll rather than you saying, I'll take £1,000 a year for the next 20 years, they'll say, I'm going to give you £15,000 now and take it off your hands. Is that what that's... Yeah, pretty much. I, I sort of explain... It's not just some man off the street is going to offer you that money. So it's the actual scheme itself. Right. They're saying, instead of us paying you an income, we'll offer you a transfer value and you can transfer it into your private pension. Okay. So all of a sudden, the risk is on you. But yes, effectively saying, here's a pot of money, you can transfer it away to give up the guaranteed income. Okay, that sounds simple enough. Which is kind of the problem, David, because it seems simple enough, but it isn't. Uh, the transfer values are calculated with reference to interest rates. Now, we've just had a small interest rate rise yesterday, but with low interest rates, the higher the amount needed to match the guaranteed benefits being given up. So consequently, transfer values at the moment are as high as they have ever been. You've then got the fact that these pension freedom rules that George Osborne brought in mean that people can potentially take all the money out of their pension in one go, and all this comes together to make it very tempting to take transfer values. Okay, so that's something that people need to be aware of that they perhaps might not be currently considering. Absolutely. Um, there are a lot of people out there who are encouraging these transfers. They have a vested interest because they get the cash which they invest and then charge fees for. Now, some of these people are order takers who can sign a piece of paper for a fee without giving any proper detailed advice. And some of them, frankly, are out, outright conmen and cowboys. So it's really, really important that people get full, proper advice on this. However, that, of course, costs money. If somebody comes to Ovation Finance for some advice on their defined benefit transfer, we charge them a fee because it's a lot of work. So sometimes people do decide to go to the cheap way, but not necessarily knowing all the facts and implications of what they're doing. Now, is this something that has been set up, I ask the question in all innocence here, to benefit the financial services industry rather than to benefit the consumer because it seems to me that if you know you've got a guaranteed income through your defined pension scheme that every month or every year rather you're going to get paid a certain amount of money then that's a concrete and a finite amount of money and why would you be wanting to play fast and loose with that why would you want to gamble with that surely this is just something that's been created as another way for possibly unscrupulous people working within the financial services industry to make more money at the benefit of the consumer. I'm obviously going to defend our position on this one. It's a perfectly valid question. The whole thing was introduced by George Osborne. So it's a government thing. Actually, the how, how can I put this? The more reputable end, which is the vast majority of the financial services industry, pension specialists, was rather this was not happening, to, honestly. 
the people who are taking advantage of it aren't one of us. They're not proper financial planners. There's, there's some really quite dodgy outfits out there doing some of this stuff. So, no, it is very much not a financial services-led thing. So what's in it for the government, then? Why did George Osborne, as Chancellor of the Exchequer, feel that it was a necessary thing to do? So, just to come in on Chris's original point, these transfers have always been possible. However, he brought in some legislation called Pension Freedoms, which have made people think it is a lot more attractive just to get my hands on my money. You can pretty much take as much out of your pension as you want, and people love that idea. Go back to it having their hands on their pension. Another thing is they change the rules around death benefits on private pensions, and it starts to look a little bit more attractive. That coupled with higher transfer values because of low interest rates at the moment, and it, I think it's an unintended consequence it's almost like the perfect storm. Okay, well, that's that's worrying in a way. So, as advisors, what sort of stuff do you know that other people might not? Well, the, the starting point, really, for this, as our friend and pension specialist, Alastair Cunningham, says, a good line, you need to apply the normal test. It is normally the right thing for people to stay in a defined benefit scheme. So, if you want to transfer, what makes you different? If we start from that point, then what we're talking about is taking a guaranteed income for life and turning it into a pot of money that will need to be invested and managed to provide income. So if somebody were to take their transfer and didn't invest it, just kept it in cash, they would almost be absolutely certain to have a lower income in retirement than leaving it in the defined benefit scheme. So there's rule number one. If you're going to transfer from a, def from a defined benefit scheme, there needs to be a point, there needs to be a purpose, and there needs to be an investment strategy. Otherwise, it sounds like you're just saying, well, I'm going to take that and stick it under my mattress because I know it's safe there. Yeah, absolutely. And, and there are people who, as Tombo said, I just want my hands on my money. And that's an emotionally-led decision. Going yes, we've Greg talked Davis about this and, before, haven't yeah. we? Absolutely, I was thinking about that. But then again, I'm not financially that sophisticated, which is why I use the services of Ovation Finance. But you recognise that fact. Yes. And if you go back and listen to Greg Davis's podcast particularly, he was talking about most people's decisions on finances are bad decisions, <laughs> simply because how we're wired. And if people recognise that, hopefully they'll realise why this is such an important area. I would think we've sort of bashed the government a little bit here, but in their defence, if the transfer value is worth more than £30,000, you have to seek financial advice. And it's just making sure that people are seeing the right financial advisors to help them with this. Because there the are right some order prices. takers out there who yeah. will just, you have to take financial advice or we'll just give you a piece of and, paper and saying you've done it. Yeah. Right. And the point you make is the general public aren't financially sophisticated enough to do it. So that's why I think it's terribly important they do see advisors. But what if somebody's got their own investment strategy and feels that they don't need an advisor if they think that they're really good at investing? Why shouldn't they be allowed to just get on and do it themselves? I, I completely agree. Uh, I said an investment strategy. That doesn't need to be our, the financial advisor's investment strategy. It could be their own as long as they have one. I would argue this is a massive decision for people to make and it's likely to be an extremely important source of their future income. And I think an impartial person is imperative. And the main reason for that is, at the moment, markets are you know, bumping along quite nicely. Every, you know, Everyone's making money. When the markets drop, what will you actually do at that point? Will your emotions take hold because it's such an important part of your future? Or is somebody who is impartial giving you a steady in hand important? I would argue yes. So I'm not sure we can really judge what, how we'd react in those scenarios. OK, so you're counselling caution. You're saying it's not always the right thing to do, but not necessarily it's always the wrong thing to do. But when might then it be a good idea for someone to transfer out of one of these defined benefit schemes? So one 
the thing that is often cited is death benefits. That has improved. They, they are quite beneficial now for private pensions. Um, because when you have a defined benefit scheme, if you don't have a spouse, it dies with you. Or if you do have a spouse, it reduces in half. So yeah, transferring the lump sum, you can pass it down the generations. But in many cases, it can be passed on inheritance tax-free as well. Oh, I like the sound of that. Yes, that can be a real factor. For those with low life expectancies, I can see the merits in it. However, there are a couple of things to note here. You know, HMRC, it's not clear-cut, but they reserve the right to tax a pension fund if you transferred, knowing you're in ill health and you die within two years. They have a right to go after it from an inheritance tax point of view. And secondly, it's by no means certain that a future government would leave the rules where they are. They constantly tinker at it, and, and it is an area where I think they will focus on in the future. It, is, it could be an easy win for them. If all of a sudden you transfer it because you're going to have a big pot you can pass down. What happens if a government changes the rules? What impact will that have? You've also got other alternatives as well, like life assurance, which could be a more effective way to give death benefits than transferring your defined benefit scheme. OK, so uh, I'm getting the idea it's not necessarily as simple as it seems, and I'm certainly slightly chilled, Tomo, by your notion of <laughs> the fact that, you know, governments might change the pension rules in the future. But actually, if we look back at where the pension rules were 20 or 30 years ago, that's already happened, and certainly the big pensions that used to exist public service pensions and you know pension guaranteed for life and that's just not there anymore and and therefore the assumption that I think we all used to have which is that well my pension is ironclad and it's going to be very very safe shouldn't always be taken for granted anyway enough of that let's keep going with the positive news uh, when else might it be a good idea to do that transfer Okay, so one of the one of the downsides of a defined benefit scheme is that income is usually only paid from a certain age, perhaps 65. If you want to take it earlier, then you'll get a reduced pension, often considerably so. So in that case, taking a transfer to allow the pension to be accessed earlier, perhaps as early as 55, could be a good idea. But the comments made previously about the investment still stand. Uh, if we had somebody in this position, we will seek any other possible solution we could find before considering the transfer of the scheme. It really is the last resort. I remember Neil Bage's comments that we cannot predict the actions of our future selves. Now, once the transfer is taken and the guaranteed benefits are given up, there is no going back. You can't transfer back in. Who knows what the future might bring? And, you know, as you can see, it really is quite a big decision. It is a massive decision. And uh, so presumably that's why you and a lot of other people are recommending a bit of caution at this point. It is why we are in most, when I say most, I mean the very vast majority of financial advisors, financial planners are. But we have something here that might look really obviously like a good idea and yet probably isn't. And people don't always want to hear that. This, I just want to get my hands on my money comment. So often people just don't want to pay us a fee to be told that getting their hands on the money will result in a lower income in retirement. It's not what they want to hear. You know, there are a lot of people who have vested interest in encouraging these transfers. You know, we're creating new money seemingly from nowhere. You know, that needs investing and there are fees to be generated both for the transfer and for the managing of the money. Well, this comes back to the point I was yeah. making about the financial industry actually yeah. generating more work for themselves in order to create 
a market that perhaps doesn't need to exist. It, that's, it's absolutely true. And uh, I've seen some figures recently of some of the big pension companies, the amount of money they've been bringing in. But it's not their doing. They didn't start this. Uh, if people want to do something, we can't stop them from doing it. That's the very principle of pension freedoms. Uh, what we are just trying to do is to make sure that people do it for the right reasons and with good advice. Point taken. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're not suggesting that everyone advising on DB transfers as a conflict of interest, but you know, a few do out there. There's some very good people out there who are doing the right thing as well. And, and, and I'm sitting in a room that. with two of them now. Oh, of course, <laughs> of course. Uh, the press isn't helping a great deal either, if I'm honest with you. There have been some headlines along the lines of transfer now before interest rates go up, don't miss out type thing, and that really isn't helpful. I mean, there's another thing to watch out for, um, and that's charging on a contingent basis. And I'll just explain what that means. Please do, because my mind just went blank. <laughs> <laughs> it's charging a fee only when a transfer takes place. So they do, we'll do give you free advice. I but know, they win, no fee, that yeah, sort of thing. Exactly. I, I, exactly. And actually, how impartial is that? Not very, in my view. I think you should be paying someone for their advice. And actually, if they tell you to stay put... That's actually really good value for money for you because actually you're doing something that's right for you in your future rather than making a decision that would have a detrimental impact on you. A couple of other things that to throw in here. Your scheme might offer a partial transfer value. You could take tax-free lump sum to provide some capital and still have an income. That's, these are things to look out for. Also another thing to look out for is they give you, you get your transfer statement, it gives you a value, and then you say, what, well, this is your current income, and you think, oh, that doesn't look particularly good value. Be careful of enhanced revaluation rates. And what that means is certain parts of the pension can increase by a significant amount of money until you come to retire. So just watch out for that. There are lots of little things that you need to take into consideration. It really just isn't a clear-cut decision and needs proper analysis. OK, so describe to me then what you think is the proper process if someone is tempted by a high transfer value from their defined benefits scheme. Well, we would say that nobody should even consider a defined benefit transfer without paying for a full financial plan. And that means a cash flow forecast, which we described in podcast 22 as a minimum, and an investment strategy for the future. Now, obviously, not everybody wants to or can afford to pay for a full financial plan, which is why we wrote the Financial Wellbeing book, which helps people to do that themselves. So some sort of forecast to make sure that you can afford what you're doing and secondly an investment strategy but you think perhaps in this specific instance what i'm hearing from you that this is a really important issue and that perhaps wonderful though the financial well-being book is you really do need to take independent advice on this absolutely from a pension specialist those two things are the two things you need from the financial planning side but you also need a pension specialist to look in the details of the scheme that you're giving up find out what it exactly is that you're giving up of those guaranteed benefits before you do anything right well that's been a um, I, I want to say is it more interesting, interesting than well, you I, thought it has been more interesting than I feared <laughs> clearly it doesn't feared, that's a good word <laughs> It doesn't relate specifically to me, but clearly it is from the way in which you guys have explained it, a, a massive issue that people need to be aware of. I don't of. know if you've noticed, but Tomo and I adopted sombre voices during this. We're with a serious professional voice during this podcast. <laughs> exactly. Well, I'm, I'm heartened by that, and I hope you have been too, listening at home. As ever, uh, any thoughts or input, we'd love to hear from you. But for now, that's all we have to say. Tune in next time for another Financial Wellbeing Podcast. If you want to be notified of upcoming podcasts, make sure you click the subscribe button. For more information on the topics discussed in today's podcast, 
and to purchase a copy of the Financial Wellbeing book, please visit www.financialwell-being.co.uk. We'd love to hear your thoughts and ideas on financial well-being. You can send us an email at contact at financialwell-being.co.uk. You can follow us on Twitter at FinWellBeing. Chris is Ovation Chris, and David is at Dave underscore Backwell. This has been an Ovation Finance production. Thanks for listening to the Financial Wellbeing Podcast. More interesting than you might think. You know I appreciate the finer things, but it's not what makes me happiest, baby. I can do without it, babe. Your tender loving's more than I can handle. Never burn out this candle, baby, baby. 